Hello everyone, welcome to the Dark Desires podcast, where we discuss what drives a person to violence, why killers act out the way they do, and what factors may cause a person to no longer suppress their urges. First, a little background about me. Hello, I'm Nicole. I'm a true crime enthusiast with an associate's degree in criminal justice with a focus on criminology. I've always been curious about what makes criminals and violent offenders act out, and here, we'll explore that a little deeper. Please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or other mental health professional. I will provide specific trigger warnings for each episode, but overall, this podcast contains graphic material, including discussions of murder, child abuse, sexual assault, and graphic descriptions of crime scenes. Listener discretion is advised. This episode in particular deals with topics of child neglect, child sexual abuse, and violence. This story is about Beth Thomas, a young child who showed violence early on in her life. It's worth noting that Beth has since recovered from reactive attachment disorder and lives a normal, healthy life. Although Beth has recovered due to intensive care, her case offers some insight on what environmental factors may lead some people to violence. The most interesting thing about this case, for me personally, is the element of recovery and intensive care. Begs the question, if Beth can recover, could some serial killers have recovered if they had had the same kind of intensive childhood care? We'll never know for sure, but for now, on to the story. First, let's discuss reactive attachment disorder. Reactive attachment disorder is a mental health condition where a child does not form bonds with other people. This is often due to severe abuse or neglect, suffered early on in life. Symptoms of reactive attachment disorders may include severe irritability, inability to feel remorse or regret, emotional detachment, avoidance of physical touch, inappropriate sexual behavior, especially if the child has been sexually abused, and other emotional problems. It's unknown exactly how many children develop reactive attachment disorders, but estimates note that it may occur in up to 1-2% to of children. That's a lot of children. Unfortunately, half of these children will have difficulty developing relationships and social connections. Children with reactive attachment disorders will often be avoidant and unemotional. They generally avoid eye contact, physical touch, and affection. They may also exhibit behaviors of fear and anger, which in children may present as tantrums or episodes. They may also attempt to control things in their environment. This makes them likely to try to break or bend rules around them. Ultimately, when a child's needs are not being attended to, they're at risk of developing a reactive attachment disorder, although most cases stem from severe abuse and neglect. In 1984, Tim and Julie Tennant received a call from the Department of Social Services. Two children, a 19-month-old Beth and her 7-month-old brother Jonathan, were available for adoption. Unable to have biological children, Tim and Julie jumped at this opportunity to adopt two young children. Many families have to wait a very long time even for one child, and here, there were two young children ready for them. Unfortunately, unknown to them, Beth and Jonathan had been neglected and abused by their birth father, and Beth had developed a reactive attachment disorder. When Beth was one year old, her biological mother passed away, and she was left in the care of her biological father. 
Tim and Julie adopted them when Beth was 19 months old and Jonathan was 7 months old. Her biological father neglected both children and sexually abused her. Jonathan was found in a severely dirty diaper with urine stains surrounding him in his crib. His head was flat on the back due to being laid in one position for so long. By the time Tim and Julie adopted them both, Jonathan was so damaged from the neglect that at seven months of age, he couldn't lift or turn his head properly. In therapy sessions with Dr. McGeed, Beth reported that her father repeatedly, quote, touched her private until it bled and hurt real bad and it was real raw, end quote. She would later report to Tim and Julie that she had recurrent nightmares of her father on top of her. He was raping her. Due to this abuse, Beth showed signs of reactive attachment disorder, including emotional withdrawal, inappropriate sexual behavior, violence towards her brother Jonathan, and violence towards animals. Their adoptive mother, Julie, recanted a time that she caught Beth assaulting her brother. Julie walked into Jonathan's room to see Beth pulling at Jonathan's penis and inserting her finger into his anus. When asked about this experience, Beth says that Jonathan told her to stop, but she did not, and that she'd like to do the same to other boys. During Beth's therapy sessions with Dr. McGee, which were recorded, she stated that she'd like to stick pins in Jonathan, her father, and other boys. Here's a brief audio clip from her therapy tapes. This documentary was originally published in 1990 on HBO and is titled Child of Rage. It's now available on YouTube, and I'll provide the link in my show notes. Tell me about it. What do you do? Now, I pinch it. Um, squeeze it. Um, kick it. When you do things to your brother's private parts, what does he say? Stop. Okay, tell me that. Well, he says stop, but I don't stop. Do you hurt him? Mm-hmm. A lot. Okay. And would you like to do that to other boys? <laughs> Beth also had an incident where she slammed Jonathan's head repeatedly onto concrete floors, with Julie noting that she was afraid Beth would have killed him if she hadn't come down the stairs. Beth also harmed animals, recanting a time that she squeezed some baby birds. Her adoptive mother, Julie, would later find the birds with their necks snapped, lifeless on the ground. Julie and Tim had resorted to barricading Beth's door shut overnight to keep Jonathan and herself safe. As a result, Beth was later sent for intensive inpatient care under Connell Watkins. Under this care, at first, Beth was required to ask for all privileges, including bathroom breaks, eating, and drinking. Over time, throughout her treatment, she was given privileges as she began to understand love, trust, and acceptance. Although fortunate that Beth's treatments worked, Watkins' treatments, unfortunately, for other children weren't always the best, and she was not licensed as a therapist. In 2000, Watkins was arrested and convicted of child abuse when a treatment resulted in the death by suffocation of a 10-year-old child. However, 
Whatever treatments Watkins did worked for Beth, and she eventually went on to be adopted by Nancy Thomas. Nancy herself fostered over a hundred emotionally troubled children, and Beth was one of the three that she formally adopted. Nancy operates a program called Families by Design, which helps families with adopted and fostered children. She has authored two books with Beth, who helps provide insight for her program. Beth later attended public school and went to college for nursing. Currently, she works as a nurse in the neonatal intensive care unit. This case has always intrigued me, mainly due to the fact that Beth ultimately recovered, going on to live a normal, fulfilling life. However, if Beth hadn't received this care, would she have gone on to actually killing people? This concept makes me wonder if certain people like Jeffrey Dahmer, or Albert Fish even, if they had received this type of intensive care, would it have changed their violent outcomes?